You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is World Without End, news, views, and interviews about our environment. It is Thursday, the 31st of October 2019, and these are the headlines. In local news, the governor of Cebu is eyeing the extension of pork ban. Danao City is to supply water to the Metropolitan Cebu Water District. Also in Cebu, Visayan Electric rewires 645 classrooms in franchise area. In Naga City, the mayor says only seven trees are up for cutting. Also in Cebu, Cebu City Mayor Edgardo Labella says crackdown order is out against big trucks and trailers in the streets. In national headlines, a green organization has reacted to the president's call for investments in clean coal. World Food Day is being celebrated in the age of the climate emergency. Brands are fooling consumers with false solutions to plastic pollution, says the Green Group. Coca-Cola, Nestle, and Pepsi Company have been named the top plastic polluters for the second year in a row. Greenpeace calls energy deals between the Philippines and Russia a dangerous game of Russian roulette. In international headlines, there is now a system-wide feedback loop for solving plastic pollution. World Wildlife Fund questions whether ordinary consumers are sourcing illegal goods without knowing it. The World Wildlife Fund also offers three ways to avoid harming animals when traveling. Wildlife trade may put nearly 9,000 land-based species at risk of extinction. And the World Wildlife Fund returns to Mission Bay for its second annual Panda Parade. Those are the headlines, and these are the stories. Cebu Governor Gwendolyn Garcia eyes an extension on the pork ban. Sunstar Cebu reports that Governor Garcia is extending the 100-day ban on the entry of live hogs, pork, and pork-related products from Luzon. There is a high risk that African swine fever would spread to other parts of the country if the ban is lifted. The Department of Agriculture divulged on Thursday, 24th of October 2019, that the seized meat products, longanisa, tocino, and hot dog, among others, from a medium-scale processor in central Luzon tested positive of African swine fever. Authorities confiscated the meat products from a passenger in Mindoro Port. 
Garcia implemented the pork ban issuing Executive Order 16 last September 18. The ban, which ends on December 28, also covers pork byproducts and boar semen. The rising number of provinces in Luzon affected by African swine fever has worried the governor. Garcia had told Agriculture Secretary William Dar that she would lift the ban only if African swine fever is already contained. Garcia said, What we are seeing now is getting worse and worse, so we must continue to protect Cebu. African swine fever, said the governor, is highly dangerous to the swine industry. She said it could affect backyard racers in Cebu province. The governor has defied the Department of Interior and local government's memo, which ordered her to lift the ban. More on this story from sunstar.com.ph Danao City will supply water to the Water District The Metropolitan Cebu Water District will receive 10,000 cubic meters of water per day from Danao City by the first quarter of 2020. MCWD spokesperson Charmaine Kara said, the Danao City Bulk Water Supply Project is a government-to-government -government supply agreement entered into by Danao City and MCWD in 2009. However, the project was delayed due to various reasons. They've come to terms that the 20-year supply project will involve 10,000 cubic meters per day in the first year and then 20,000 cubic meters per day in the second year from Danao City's Tangon River at 19.38 pesos per cubic meter, inclusive of taxes. MCWD and the Danao City government met with Compostela officials Thursday, 24th of October 2019, to finalize delivery of points for the final pipeline that needs to be installed before the supply flows. The now city administrator Oscar Rodriguez said thousands of residents who rely on artesian wells will benefit from the project. The now city is not part of MCWD's service area, but Rodriguez said they developed the water source to solve the city's water problems. From the river, the now city installed pipelines to bring the water to a treatment plant in Barangay Ginakot. Then, Additional pipelines were laid to bring the excess water to MCWD's extension point near the Kotkot River in Compostela, then to the water district's high-level reservoir in Hubay, Liloan for distribution to other areas, including Liloan, Consolacion, Mandawi City, and the whole of Mactan Island. The story is brought to you by sunstar.com.ph. The Design Electric Company has rewarded 645 classrooms in its franchise area. According to a report by Sunstar Cebu, in fulfillment of Visayan Electric Company's advocacy to ensure safety of students in schools, it has, together with the Aboites Foundation, rewired more than 645 classrooms in 16 schools located in its franchise area this year. The upgrading of electrical systems started in 2010 as the company's contribution to providing safe learning environments for students in public elementary and high schools. Since the start of the project, 
a total of 4,364 classrooms in 106 schools from the municipality of Liloan in the north to the municipality of San Fernando in the south have been rewired. Chief Operating Officer Anton Marie Perdices of the Visayan Electric Company said, We want you to study well so you will have a better future. The rewiring project aims to provide new students with an environment that is safe and conducive to learning. The beneficiaries of the project for this year are Lahug Elementary School, Pardo Elementary School, Bulacal Community School, Lusaran Elementary School, Paril Elementary School, Barrio Luz Elementary School, Talamban Elementary School, Pamutan Integrated School, and Buhisan Elementary School in Cebu City. Also beneficiaries are Pagsabungan National High School in Mandawa City, Pook National High School in Talisay City, Tubod National High School and Manduang Integrated School in Minglanilia, and Kabangahan National High School and Elementary School, and Saksak Elementary School in Consolacion. This story is brought to you by sunstar.com.ph. In Naga City, Acting Mayor Christine Vanessa Chong said, only 7 out of 28 trees will be cut as they pose hazards to motorists passing by the area. In an interview on the 25th of October, Chong clarified that out of the 32 trees initially identified for cutting along the roads of Daga, only 28 were considered during the reassessment with the Department of Public Works and Highways, Provincial Environment and Natural Resources Office, City Environment and Natural Resources Office, and the local government. Chong said, We came up with seven for the city government to support for the tree cutting, as these pose risks and hazards to motorists by the roads of Nagu. Mayor Chong said, Six of the seven trees marked for cutting are located in the carriage area. The other one is located along the sidewalk but has been considered dead and is in the advanced stage of decay. Each tree will be replaced with 100 trees. The Department of Public Works and Highways will spend an estimate of 270 pesos per seedling of the 700 replacement trees including the maintenance for five years. The funds will be transferred to the Department of Environment and Natural Resources as they will be in charge of scouting for a location to plant the trees and their maintenance. This story is brought to you by The Free Man and more on this can be found on philstar.com. In Cebu City, Mayor Edgardo Labella has ordered a massive crackdown on trucks and trailers illegally operating along the city's roads. According to a report from the Freeman, in a statement released on the 25th of October, the trucks and trailers that are operating illegally are some of the reasons for the heavy traffic on the major roads. Labella said these articulated vehicles may be impounded upon inspection should these be found without proper registration or provisional authority to operate. This is in violation of Republic Act 4136, also known as the Land Transportation and Traffic Code. The mayor directed lawyer Ray Gialon, the city legal officer and chairman of the Cebu City Transport Coordinating Committee, to carry out the order. Gialon said 
he will make sure the mayor's order will be carried out through the Cebu City Transportation Office in coordination with the Land Transportation Franchising and Regulatory Board and the Land Transportation Office. Stricter apprehensions are to be expected on areas declared as discipline zones. Labelia said traffic personnel, patrol cars, and patrol motorcycles will be deployed in these zones. This story is brought to you by The Freeman, and more on it can be found on philstar.com. Those are the stories in the local news. World Without End returns after these reminders. How to Prevent Soil Erosion Erosion is the loss of soil. As soil erodes, it loses nutrients, clogs rivers with dirt, and eventually turns the area into a desert. Although erosion happens naturally, human activities can make it much worse. How do we prevent soil erosion? First, plant grass and shrubs. Second, add mulch or rocks. Third, use mulch matting to hold vegetation on slopes. Fourth, put down filed fiber logs. Fifth, build retaining walls. Sixth, improve drainage. Seven, reduce watering if possible. Eighth, avoid soil compaction. This message is brought to you by Andrew Carberry on Wikihow together with DYUP Subbo Kaubanimo. Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. We're back on World Without End and now we turn to the national headlines. In Quezon City, during the switch-on celebrations for the opening of a coal-fired power plant in Mauban, Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte referred to the coal plant as clean. Greenpeace campaigner Kevin Yu has said, Greenpeace strongly denounces the Philippine government's backward pro-coal policies. Coal is not clean, not cheap, and not sustainable. You said it is unfortunate that another coal plant has been inaugurated in the country by no less than the president who seems to have been misled or misinformed by the coal industry and its ridiculous myth of clean coal. Coal has long been recognized as the dirtiest and most carbon-intensive form of fuel for energy generation. In many parts of the world, countries are closing down and have stopped building coal plants while investors are also pulling out or have enacted policies against coal financing. You said it is also not the cheapest because we import majority of our coal from other countries and other energy sources are now much cheaper, such as solar energy. You said investing in coal in, is investing in the climate crisis that is already impacting the lives and livelihoods of millions of Filipinos and costing the Filipino taxpayers billions every year. 
he added that there was a clear directive from the president during the 2019 SONA to harness renewable energy. Greenpeace called on the Department of Energy and private energy companies to stop investing in coal, enact a moratorium on all planned coal projects, and enable an immediate energy transition towards clean and cheap renewable energy. This story is brought to you by Greenpeace.org in its Philippines section. Greenpeace's Virginia Benosa Yorin reports on the World Food Day in the age of the climate emergency. Annually, every 16th of October, World Food Day is observed globally. It is a day of action dedicated not only to raising awareness on global hunger, but to getting humanity together to eliminate its oldest foe. In the Philippines, many Filipinos still suffer from lack of food or from very poor diets despite the rise in food availability. This is because of inadequate access to food due to high poverty and low income, especially among the rural population that is ironically generally engaged in agriculture. According to the Philippine Statistics Authority, the poverty incidence among Filipinos in 2015 was estimated at 21.6%. This translates to 21.93 million Filipinos who cannot afford to buy their basic food and non-food needs. Health-wise, the country is confronted with a double burden case of malnutrition. 20% of children aged 0 to 5 years old are underweight while 30% of Filipino adults aged 20 and above are overweight or obese. But beyond challenges in nutrition and energy needed to perform daily tasks, the issue of food, particularly the way it is produced and distributed, is as well very crucial for our survival. It is also among the largest drivers of climate change and environmental degradation including biodiversity loss, soil degradation, water pollution, and land use change. More on the story can be found on greenpeace.org in its Philippines section. Brands have been fooling consumers with false solutions to plastic pollution. Environmental groups in Quezon City, October 7, called on consumer goods companies to stop peddling false solutions to cover up continuous reliance on single-use plastic and instead shift to business practices that enable reuse and refill methods. The groups, including Greenpeace Philippines, cited data from a new report that exposes how multinational firms refuse to end single-use packaging and compound the problem by embracing false solutions which include switching to paper or bioplastics and mainstreaming chemical recycling. The report, titled Throwing Away the Future, How Companies Still Have It Wrong on Plastic Pollution Solution, shows how companies such as Nestle, Unilever, PepsiCo, and Procter & Gamble continue to harm the environment by using paper and crops-based bioplastics which cause deforestation and threaten food security. Moreover, chemical recycling offers false hopes and lock-in demand for plastic packaging. Abigail Aguilar, Greenpeace Southeast Asia Regional Campaign Coordinator said, Actors from the grassroots level have started to venture into small businesses that promote reuse and refill. 
we ask for these companies to do the same as they have the means to invest heavily in systems that prioritize reuse. Earlier this year, Nestle and Unilever, identified as top sources of plastic pollution in the country, both launched waste recovery programs for consumers, as well as announced intentions to make their packaging recyclable and compostable. Nestle and Unilever, however, continue to dodge the call for reuse and refill systems, failing to set plans to phase out single-use production. Aguilar said Filipinos have stepped up the call to end plastic pollution, but big brands are walking away by substituting single-use plastics for another throwaway material. Instead of immediately ending their risky business systems, they continue and even increase manufacturing products wrapped in disposable packaging. More on this story can be found on the Philippines section of Greenpeace.org. In Quezon City, Coca-Cola, Nestle, and PepsiCo have been identified as the top plastic polluters for the second year in a row. Coca-Cola, Nestle, and PepsiCo are most identified in brand audits for the second year in a row, according to global brand audits detailed in the report Branded Volume 2, identifying the world's top corporate plastic polluters. 484 cleanups in over 50 countries and six continents organized in September by the Break Free from Plastic Movement identified the top polluting companies. The rest of the companies rounding out the top 10 are Mondelez International, Unilever, Mars, Procter & Gamble, Colgate-Palmolive, Philip Morris, and Perfetti Van Mel. Hashtag Break Free from Plastic member organizations in the Philippines, namely Gaia Asia Pacific, Mother Earth Foundation, Greenpeace Philippines, Eco Waste Coalition, and Healthcare Without Harm Asia made the announcement in a press briefing in Quezon City on October the 23rd. According to the coalition, the report provides more evidence that corporations urgently need to do more to address the plastic pollution crisis they've created. Their continued reliance on single-use plastic packaging translates to pumping more throwaway plastic into the environment. The group said recycling is not going to solve the problem. Break free from plastics, nearly 1,800 member organizations are calling on corporations to urgently reduce their production of single-use plastic and find innovative solutions focused on alternative delivery systems that do not create pollution. This year's top three plastic polluters have offered mostly false solutions to the crisis, underscoring how important it is for voices from beyond the consumer goods sector to demand accountability and call for an end to single-use plastics. The list of top polluters is again filled with some of the world's most commonly known brands. More about this story may be found on Greenpeace Philippines website greenpeace.org in the Philippines section. Also in Quezon City, Greenpeace is lambasting the Philippines-Russia energy deals. The Philippine government is playing Russian roulette with the lives of the Filipino people with its recent agreement with Russia to pursue nuclear energy and its bid to seek partnership 
for offshore oil exploration. This according to Greenpeace. In a press conference on the 21st of October, the group added that pursuing dangerous and dirty energy sources will compound the severe climate impacts already suffered by Filipinos with additional threats of nuclear accidents and oil rig blowouts. Greenpeace is demanding that the Philippine government stop all plans to pursue nuclear energy, oil exploration, and coal expansion. Instead, the group is asking that the government focus on maximizing the country's abundant potential for clean, safe, and renewable energy. Kevin Yu, Greenpeace campaigner, said nuclear, oil, and coal are the worst energy decisions that the government can make, and these harmful energy sources should be junked and phased out rather than promoted to avert the climate crisis. Yu said, the stance of the Department of Energy and President Rodrigo Duterte on this would potentially lock the country into an era of dangerous and dirty energy. Greenpeace urged the President to rethink his administration's energy choices and ensure that he is true not only to his directive to promote the development of renewable energy, but also to his mandate to serve the interests of the Filipino people. In his State of the Nation address last June, President Duterte directed the Energy Secretary, Alfonso Cusi, to fast-track the development of renewable energy sources. He was also tasked to reduce the dependence on traditional energy such as coal. However, current developments show that the government is heading in the opposite direction. President Duterte recently arrived from Russia with planned and potential partnerships with Rosatom and Rosneft, Russia's state-controlled nuclear and oil and gas companies, respectively. Following this visit, he graced the inauguration of a new coal plant in Quezon Province, referring to the facility as clean and calling for more such similar investments. More about this story can be found on Greenpeace.org in its Philippines section. You're listening to World Without End. We will be back after these reminders. How can you reduce air pollution? Follow these tips every day to reduce pollution. Conserve energy at home, at work, and everywhere. Look for the Energy Star label when buying home or office equipment. Carpool. Use public transportation, bike, or walk whenever possible. Follow gasoline refueling instructions for efficient vapor recovery. Being careful not to spill fuel and always tightening your gas cap securely. Consider purchasing portable gasoline containers labeled spill-proof where available. Keep your car, boat, and other engines properly tuned. Be sure your tires are properly inflated. Use environmentally safe paints and cleaning products wherever possible. Mulch or compost leaves and yard waste. Combine errands and reduce trips. Walk to errands when possible. Avoid excessive idling of your automobile. Refuel your car in the evening when it is cooler. Conserve electricity and set air conditioners no lower than 78 degrees Fahrenheit. Defer lawn and gardening shores that use gasoline-powered equipment or wait until evening. 
This message is brought to you by EPA New England right here on DYUP Subo Kauban Nimo. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. DYUP Subo Kauban Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. We're back on World Without End. News, views, and interviews about our environment. We turn now to stories from around the world. The World Wildlife Fund is opening a system-wide feedback loop for solving the plastic pollution. WWF's resource, Plastic Platform, is helping companies implement ways to reduce the most plastic, measure the impact, and hold them all to account in the process. WWF's Erin Simon has reported the story. Plastic waste is plaguing us. We know our use of this delightfully cheap and versatile material needs to change. But changing effectively can be hard. And though many companies have committed to reduce plastic waste through multiple initiatives that have sprung up to help companies approach plastic differently, gaps and silos remain. A new resource that gives us hope is Resource Colon Plastic. The organization is deploying its team of plastic experts to help companies identify the interventions that can reduce the most plastic, implement them, and measure the impact, while collaborating with other companies and holding them all to account in the process. Resources principal members are CPG companies including the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, McDonald's, Procter & Gamble, Starbucks, and Tetra Pak who, along with partners Ellen MacArthur Foundation and Ocean Conservancy, are aiming to prevent 100 million metric tons of plastic waste in the coming years. One of the unique aspects of Resource is that it will track the collective progress made by its members. Participating companies might even be able to challenge each other. There's nothing like a little competition towards a shared cause. This story is brought to you by SustainableBrands.com Are you sourcing illegal goods without knowing it? Padre Gray reports on Anper. Just a short drive from the Denver airport, a 22,000 square foot utilitarian warehouse houses a macabre collection of rarities. Tiger skin rugs, insects in picture frames, taxidermied sea turtle, and a pair of end tables made from the unimaginable, the actual legs of an elephant. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service repository might seem like a relic, old evidence of the way people used to pillage nature for sport and adornment, except that new items are added to the warehouse every day. Fish and Wildlife Service repository officers intercept decorative objects, furniture, and floor coverings fashioned from endangered species of plants and animals at U.S. ports of entry. They pick them up from shady retailers and accept donations from sheepish people who call their tip line confessing, I thought I was buying an antique. 
what the United Nations calls wildlife and forest crime, illegal trafficking of endangered or protected flora and fauna is much more prevalent than you'd expect. You might even have protected items in your latest project or even your own home without realizing it. It happened to me 10 years ago, I bought a mid-century dining set off of Craigslist for 1,200 US dollars, Danish modern as they come. At the time, I was proud of having saved up and finally graduated from IKEA. But I only discovered while reporting this article that the table's veneer is Brazilian rosewood, a material that was banned for international trade in 1992 because the man nearly decimated the source forests. More about this story on AdPro. More about this story from architecturaldigest.com. There are three ways to avoid harming animals when you travel, according to World Wildlife Fund. As reported on MDG Planet, today, more than ever, many travelers are seeking unique experiences in far-off lands where they can be inspired by the local culture, scenery, and wildlife. But unfortunately, some of the resulting Instagram photos of seldom seen and rapidly disappearing wildlife may be doing more harm than good. The fact is, every trip we take has the potential to help or hurt a wildlife and the communities that surround it. Case in point, our recent study found that protecting areas where wildlife can flourish can positively affect the well-being of nearby humans. In honor of World Animal Day, which was celebrated on the 4th of October, writer Bonnie Culbertson has sat down with World Wildlife Fund's Vice President for Conservation Travel, Jim Sano, during the World Tourism Day Forum to discuss three ways we can all make sure our travels are animal-friendly. First, do your research. Sano acknowledged that it can be very difficult for the average traveler to figure out the right itinerary thanks to greenwashing and the misuse of the word eco his least favorite word in travel-related advertisements. So what's a confused traveler to do? One of the shortcuts for a traveler is to go with a tour operator that sets a high standard and explains that standard on their website. Take, for instance, Intrepid Travel, a recent B Corp certified travel company. It became the first to ban elephant rides from its programs after research done in partnership with World Animal Protection revealed that tourism was fueling an increase in elephant poaching. Second, listen to your guides and put the needs of the animals first. Sano explained that when tourists are in proximity to wildlife, safety should always be their top priority, especially in an Instagram-obsessed age when people are literally dying for the perfect selfie. Whenever you're traveling to a destination where wildlife observation is on the itinerary, make sure to listen to the safety advice given by park rangers, biologists, or other animal experts on staff. And remember that the needs of the animal should always come before the desires of travelers. During a recent safari, Sano saw what can happen when this isn't the case. The safari guides are all connected by radio and they're all incentivized or simply pressured by their clients to see the iconic wildlife species. After happening upon a mother cheetah and her two young cubs, 
a call went out over the radio and soon Sanos Land Rover was joined by 35 other tourist-bearing vehicles. Needless to say, it was a distressing experience for the Cheetah family and the kind of thing that can severely disrupt their natural behavior. Sano said, in an ideal world, there are park regulations that prohibit this sort of thing. Third, avoid products that play into animal trafficking. The first week of October has been one of the two busiest travel seasons in China, and an expected 200 million travelers were to head to places like Hong Kong, Thailand, Vietnam, and Japan, all of which have active markets for products made from pangolin, ivory from elephants, and other endangered species. Despite a now two-year ban on ivory in China, it seems that consumers are still demanding it. For those of us heading to these countries from the U.S., it is best to play safe and avoid any souvenir of which you are unsure of the origin, MBG Planet reports. If you are planning to shop for souvenirs, check out a health poll buyer beware guide before you do. More on this story may be found on MBG Planet. Wildlife trade may put nearly 9,000 land-based species at risk of extinction. PBS reports that in April 2010, poachers opened fire on the last known Vietnamese Javan rhinoceros. The animal, the final member of the species, Rhinoceros sundaicus anamiticus, died and its horn was sawed off its body. In an instant, a lineage that once numbered in the thousands was extinguished. The Vietnamese Javan rhinoceros was neither the first casualty of wildlife trafficking nor the last. In species ranging from scaly mammals to brightly plumed birds, history threatens to repeat itself. And according to a study published by Science on October 4, the Vietnamese Javan rhinoceros was neither the first casualty of wildlife trafficking nor the last. In species ranging from scaly mammals to brightly plumed birds, history threatens to repeat itself. And according to a study published October 4 in the journal Science, the world is headed for more of the same. By mining the world's foremost databases on wildlife trade, a team of conservationists has found that 5,579 species of animals, birds, amphibians, and reptiles are now ensnared in the global market. As these animals are depleted, poachers and traders seeking similar goods will turn to their close cousins on the tree of life. This is a known replacement strategy that could imperil an additional 3,196 species not currently on the market, said the researchers. If these predictions are accurate, close to 30% of all land-based vertebrates around the world today would be at risk of extinction from commoditization alone. Study author Brett Sheffers, an ecologist at the University of Florida, said this underscores the sheer magnitude of wildlife trade. But knowing who is being traded and where is very powerful. We need a strategic plan to deal with wildlife, and now we can at least make informed decisions. More about this story can be found on Nova PBS. World Wildlife Fund has returned to Mission Bay for its second annual Panda Paddle. 
The World Wildlife Fund is a conservation organization dedicated to preserving the planet's ecological diversity by establishing a future where humans and nature can thrive alongside each other. To do this, reports the San Diego Entertainer magazine, WWF hopes you can take a stand for the world's water, animals, and wild places by participating in their second annual parade. The one-of-a-kind stand-up paddleboard event is held for those who want to make a difference in the world. This premier peer-to-peer -peer athletic fundraising event is aimed at raising awareness and funds for global conservation, all while having fun on the water. The Panda Paddle will feature three paddleboard races, including a 5K, 10K, and a one-mile course with two heats. Join like-minded athletes who share love for conserving the environment and get their competitive spirit on while both in and out of the water. Leading up to the event, participants are encouraged to go out within their communities and raise money to help support the WWF. This story is brought to you by the San Diego Entertainer magazine. This is World Without End, and we will be back after these reminders with the philosophy portion of our show. So how do you save water? There are many ways. Next to air, water is the most important element for the preservation of life. Water is a finite commodity which, if not managed properly, will result in shortages in the near future. Water conservation can go a long way to help alleviate these impending shortages. Check your toilet for leaks. Stop using your toilet as an ashtray or wastebasket. Take shorter showers. Install water-saving shower heads or flow restrictors. Take baths. Turn off the water while brushing your teeth. Turn off the water while shaving. Check faucets and pipes for leaks. Use your automatic dishwasher for full loads only. Use your automatic washing machine only for full loads. Don't let the faucet run while you clean vegetables. Keep a bottle of drinking water in the refrigerator. If you wash dishes by hand, don't leave the water running for rinsing. Check faucets and pipes for leaks. Water your lawn only when it's needed. This message is brought to you by Volusia County, Florida, here on DYUP Subo, Kauban Nimi. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. DYUP Subo, Kauban Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. We're back on World Without End news, views, and interviews about our environment. And now let's listen to the views of the writer and actress from the UK, Emma Thompson, about what we need to do in the face of the crisis facing our planet. She says everything depends on what we do now. And she has written an essay for CNN, which we shall read in part. So she says, 
We have weaponized our planet. All over the world, life forms are experiencing weather that attacks rather than sustains. Unseasonal heat that kills rain instead of sweetening, inundates and destroys hurricanes that devastate. This is climate change. We are in it. It is all around us and set to get worse. Everything depends on what we do now. Half of the man-made CO2 in the atmosphere was emitted in the last few decades. After scientists, governments, and oil companies all knew where fossil fuels were taking us. Since Al Gore's film, An Inconvenient Truth, we have produced more emissions than ever before. Warnings from scientists have gone unheeded by those who have the power to change the course. Billions have been spent on misinforming the public and on lying about the truth of our situation. Why? In order to protect the interests of the few who gain from the exploration of the planet's resources. Now, after the five hottest years on record, as the Amazon burns and Greenland melts, the world is waking up to the fierce urgency of the climate emergency we have created. Again, everything depends upon what we do now. Incremental change is not enough. Personal commitments, whilst vital, are not enough. We need to come together, talk to each other about our fears, and then act, act collectively. Big government and corporate power have to be harnessed. The US and China, the two most powerful nations, and the ones that cause the most damage through their emissions, can lead the way. They will have to cooperate. This is a new politics, a system change for nothing less than the survival of the planet and all life forms that exist upon it. We are a planet-changing species, and that ability to control our environment can be used for good. It can replace the engines of pollution with clean machines and systems that can share our world with wildlife and wilderness. We can use the power of the wind, the waves, and the sun. Remember, no one ever fought a war over the wind. We can plant many more trees, millions of them. We can be smart and sensitive with the choices we make, including for our food, and the packaging we wrap it in. If we use more renewable energy, eat less meat, and insulate our homes, we can lighten our footprint on planet Earth. We can begin to live with nature rather than declare war on it. By doing that, we will be healthier and happier. 50 years ago, before only a few knew what was going on in our atmosphere, we had already left it behind to leave our footprints on the moon. That's what we're capable of. But we only have one home, one place in the universe that can sustain human life, and it's the Earth. We wrote this story, and we are in charge of how it turns out. Everything depends upon what we do now. To read this view again from Emma Thompson, you can go to edition.cnn.com. This is World Without End, and we will be back after these important reminders. Hi! I so love picnics na talaga! You know, kapag you're BS Org, you literally have no time to chill or make lande. Uy, Gina! Before ka maglanid-lanid nila, tabangi sa miyugi po sa gikan anato. But ate, I'm enjoying one here. Sun bathing. Ayaw pag tinapulan diha, tabangi miyugli po diri. Gosh, ate, fine. Hoy, 
Gina, dili dira. Wala ka kita nga biodegradable na. Unya imong gigunitan kay plastic bottle atong landfills kay nagkadelecha-lecha na tungod sa mga people like you na dili ka balo mag-segregate ug mutan ang og labels. Wala na naglove. Kung take na iyang label, ayo na pugsa mo sulod anang relationship kay girl, makasakit pa ka, makagubot pa ka. Whatever. But duh, kakakoy ba? Nga mag-throw na ng gani ko sa akong garbage, ako pa i-use akong frontal lobe. So yun naman dyan na. Just remember, biodegradable, which means mga butang ang dali na mabulok. Murag akong ex, yung feelings na ako, dali na na daw itong nawala. Non-biodegradable, mga things that cannot be broken down easily by natural organisms. Murag akong feelings para niya. Dugay mamatay kay love gihapon na ako siya. And recyclable, mga waste materials that can be turned into new materials and objects. Like, katong girl na niilog niya. Trash na nga, plastic pa. See? So easy, di ba? OMG, friend, you're right. And so, Luoy, you wanna hug? Not only does improper waste management significantly harm our marine resources and wildlife, it is also one of the main causes of soil, water, and air pollution. Don't forget to segregate your trash and put them in their designated trash bin. Remember, big things come from small beginnings and our actions can make the biggest difference. A friendly reminder from DYUP Subo, Kaubanin. Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. Hello friends, ladies and gentlemen. We're back on World Without End. This is Jason Bagya in studio together with Raya Hapson, Vanessa Fehe, Sofia Olvis, Desel Suarez, and Manal Lumawag on our technical side and uh, behind the scenes. With us today for our interview portion is... Hannah Marie Aranas. She's a graduate of the literature program, the graduate literature program of the University of San Carlos, and now she's teaching at the Apu Palamguan Cultural Education Center in Sitio Bendun, Barangay Busdi, Malaybalay City in Bukidnon. This is an indigenous school or what many would call by shorthand the Lumad School. Welcome, Hannah, to the show. Good afternoon, Jason. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so since Hannah is working with an indigenous community, we're going to ask her a few questions related to her job and um, also in the context of uh, the environment and um, the world in which we live. So, Hannah, tell us how you started working with them, what led you to this school, and um, how did it all begin? Yeah. yeah. So I just recently joined the Apo Palamguan Cultural Education Center or APC last July as academic coordinator. So APC is um, it's a community-based and a Jesuit-supported organization that sustains uh, culture-based education in the uplands of Bukidnon. So as academic coordinator, I work closely with teachers and the management to ensure that the students are actively engaged in their learning inside and outside the classroom. And um, most importantly, that the overall curriculum is grounded uh, in their culture and their gaop. So um, their ancestral domain is called gaop. Mm -hmm. 
uh, in the Pinulangyon language. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, um, it is also part of our work to ensure that the students learn the skills and knowledge that they need to critically relate to the greater society while they contribute to a better human development mm -hmm. while, being, um, while remaining um, rooted in their cultural identity. Mm -hmm. uh, this this tribe, right, um, or, or this um, um, this uh, Lumad community. Um, so basically, they, the the whole domain is theirs. The whole land is theirs. So um, th this is really one of the indigenous communities of of, of the Philippines, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So they've been there for I don't know for God knows how long for for yes, ages, yes, right? Yes, like um, other indigenous groups in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, when people nowadays, especially in the UP community, hear about the Lumads, um, they usually associate them with stories or news about conflict and all that. Mm. Um, do, do you are you in a safe environment? Um, how 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 is it in this particular Lumad community? So, uh, City of Bendum is a relatively remote upland area of uh, Bukidnon, and. Um, for like how many years in the past decades before um, it has faced um, challenges in security no but um, right now the uh, through uh, the efforts of um, through the efforts of the Jesuit organization together with the tribal council in the community they were able to hold a dialogue between um, the Armed Forces of the Philippines and uh, the New People's Army, where they created this um, this like agreement that um, the school uh, should be a safe zone. Mm -hmm. So um, from from then on, um, from, uh, from from then on, the the community as well as the school uh, were able to like sustain their everyday life uh, peacefully, mm -hmm. but at the same time. Um, we cannot discount the fact that the risk uh, remains. Mm -hmm. the, the risk remains. But uh, from my own experience, the, the pulang yon no, and, the, and the rest of the community are really peace-loving people. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, their cultural identity is uh, rooted in uh, peace-building, mm -hmm. which they call kalandang, mm -hmm. no, uh, wherein they strive to be bearers of peace Know, uh, strive to be uh, bearers of peace wherever they uh, go. That that that's good to know, and it's good to know that you're working in a safe environment too. Mm -hmm. um, so, what does the location look like? Uh, tell us about um, tell us about perhaps the topography, that mm -hmm. part of Mother Earth where many of our listeners have not been to yet. Mm -hmm. So it's a remote upland area. Mm -hmm. So you have to travel two to three hours from the town center of Malaybalay. Mm -hmm. So you take a bus and then. A motorbike that would travel on a dirt road mm -hmm. and to reach City of Bendum. Mm -hmm. So uh, the community is or has roughly uh, 500 residents or 500 people. So the houses there are uh, mostly made of wood, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, they have GI sheets mm -hmm. or roofs. Mm -hmm. And then the school is right beside the community, mm -hmm. and um, adjacent to the school are two dorms mm -hmm. one for the male students, one for female students. Um, we call it the Dalupaan. Mm -hmm. So um, these students uh, or these dorms uh, houses students who live uh, far from Bandung, students who live as far as Abusan mm -hmm. or like uh, four hours away from uh, Bandung. And um, 
10 to 15 minutes away from the uh, from that school building uh, that's campus one the uh, grade school building is the high school building mm -hmm. and on the same area you have um, two separate dorms for um, male and female students mm -hmm. and then um, the community is basically surrounded by farmlands mm -hmm. and then farther out is the rainforest mm -hmm. and um, Ben Doom has a history of logging mm -hmm. uh, and um, was in the 1970s, uh, I think, but three decades after, mm -hmm. through the efforts of the youth in Bendum, with the help of the Environmental Science for Social Change, which is also a Jesuit organization, they were able to regenerate the, mm -hmm. the forest. So if you would visit the place, mm -hmm. um, most of the young kids there can um, take you to the forest and tell you the... Um, the tree species mm -hmm. and actually it's interesting to note that um, they have five types of forests mm -hmm. no, in uh, Bendum and um, the kids know the kind of trees found in each forest wow. so yeah so it's yeah. Um, it's really a story of um, hope and revival mm -hmm. from a heavily log um, area or forest to um, to a place where um, the forest is uh, nurtured and protected by the community. Yeah, that's that's wonderful to know, and it's just interesting and remarkable that um, the, the, the 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 students, even if they are not horticulturists or formally mm -hmm. trained in horticulture, uh, actually know about the forests, yeah. and that if they have even if they haven't gone into forestry yet, they already appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that we also need. Mm. The basic knowledge of, of, of forest communities, because after all, we were originally a tropical country and would have, we're, we're filled with these forests. And mm. it's just unfortunate that, for example, in Cebu, we don't really have uh, too many forests anymore. In fact, we just have one last one um, mm. right around the mountains of Alcoy called oh. the Nugas Forest. It's the old growth one, but everything else had been, uh, mm. how shall we say, everything else had been deforested long, mm. long time ago. and. Perhaps it would be nice if the success story of Bendun and surrounding areas can be replicated here somehow. So, uh, what is the like? Um, in what ways is the indigenous uh, in, in the indigenous culture uh, more protective of the environment? Yeah. So, uh, indigenous cultures around the world for centuries mm -hmm. have uh, protected the biodiversity of the planet. Have mm -hmm. uh, we, we even call them defenders of our forests and and waters. And it is their deep understanding of their ancestral domains and mm -hmm. of their lands mm -hmm. uh, through their traditional knowledge that um, makes that makes them capable of um, being. Or that makes them capable of leading mm -hmm. conservation and protection um, efforts. Mm -hmm. And um, also, um, a lot of indigenous cultures, for example, the, um, the Pulangyons, they depend on, or they, they depend on, on nature, uh, for example, the, the climate pattern as an indicator for the planting and harvesting mm -hmm. um, seasons. And, and also, uh, that means that they live... Um, close to nature mm. and if you would ask them they would say that the forest is their home mm -hmm. it's their market it's their clinic mm -hmm. and it's their school wow and so <laughs> all in one yeah <laughs> all, all in one so we have you have this kind of connection that uh, or relationship that um, they have with the environment that um, 
makes them aware of the aware of the challenges mm. uh, and uh, uh, as well as the opportunities to to protect the environment mm. and uh, also um, if we look at um, indigenous cultures across uh, the world we would notice how they consider the environment as a gift mm -hmm. rather than as a commodity mm -hmm. like um, they uh, they live in their ancestral domains with a sense of gratitude mm -hmm. knowing that the environment what they have the forests the lands and the waters are are gifts from their creator mm -hmm. or, or gifts from the creator so for example um the pulangon have uh, has this uh, idea of, or has this concept of Mig Tanghaga, the, mm -hmm. the creator, and Tanghaga, the creation. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a core belief in their, uh, in their value system that to be able to sustain their culture and identity, they have to protect the creator and the creation. Mm -hmm. So um, the culture sustains the Gaop or their ancestral domain. And the Gaop sustains their culture, and I think um, that's also true not just uh, for the Pulangian, but also um, for other indigenous groups in the country as well as in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think we have a lot to learn, in fact, from these um, indigenous mm -hmm. communities. Um, I I think we we have so much to learn that perhaps it's pertinent to ask what we have lost um, as mm. a people that have become urbanized. I mean, of course, mm. um, uh, well, it's known that um, a couple of years from now, we will be celebrating, for instance, uh, the 500th um, anniversary of the arrival of the colonizers, mm. which basically put us in contact with the modernizing world or mm. the event, the eventually industrializing world. But in fact, uh, we now call ourselves a developing country. But um, are there things that we may have lost as an urbanized generation or as an urbanized mm. people that the indigenous community still possesses? Yeah, I believe we have lost so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the kind of lifestyle that we have in the city, one which is consumption-driven, mm -hmm. right, um, fast-paced, and unfortunately, um, very individualistic. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, with the kind of lifestyle, we have lost that awareness of the interconnectedness that uh, that we have with others and a lot of things in this world. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also, a, a lot of relationships that we should be aware of are made invisible by our consumerist culture. Mm -hmm. Like for example, food. Mm -hmm. like whenever we eat food, do we question where our food comes from? Mm -hmm. Who grows our food mm. and what would be the impact of uh, the decisions that uh, we have made in terms of choosing what food to eat mm. or even what transportation to, to take so a lot of our actions here in the city a lot of our decisions have consequences to um uh, to other people and to other things that we are not really aware of another thing would be the sense of community yeah. Um, if uh, when I when I the the first time I went to the connecting schools of uh, APC, actually APC has uh, four connecting schools, which are in other upland barangays in Bukidnon. Uh, when I went there, I really saw how um, how the sense of community 
as um, how the sense of community allows them to to cope mm-hmm. and, and uh, allows them to to share um, the the kind of life and the kind of culture that they have with um, others, especially outsiders like me. Like um, this is just to like share a, a little anecdote. When uh, I went to this um, connecting school, this head teacher, uh, this head teacher immediately embraced me and mm-hmm. it was the first time that uh, we met it was mm-hmm. the first time that we were introduced to each other so and it and for someone who was used to living in the city mm-hmm. it was something it was something um really interesting mm-hmm. but at the same time um it really warmed my 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 heart to know that in this in that part of um the world we, you have that kind of connection that you don't find in the in the city mm-hmm. and um and uh with that uh i also think that we have since we've lost that sense of interconnectedness and community we have lost that sense of responsibility mm-hmm. also and uh knowing how uh knowing that we have responsibility beyond ourselves mm-hmm. and our and our circles because the city life would uh would really tend to would uh, really tend to um, close you off mm. from from these things sure. you know? because mm. you have to yeah, you have to thrive as an individual mm. and it's it's a reality mm. and it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality but I think it's also an opportunity for us to reflect mm. and um, that's one of the things that um, I did when I like, went to Bendun especially mm. in the first few weeks there's mm. so much uh, reflection mm. um, uh, that uh, that I need. Mm. I understand that a Jesuit priest leads the school, um, and um, he has spoken about the papal encyclical Laudato Si, which is about caring for the planet. So, um, and, and it's become one of your foundational principles for for how you live there. So, how how is the how are the thoughts of the Pope, or how is Laudato Si, as a document being lived in, in the day to day in the school? Yeah. So um, just last year, the community had this the the Polangyon, uh, in, in the community had this dialogue where they reflected on what the what what the see means to them as an indigenous community, and um, from that dialogue, they were able to like publish this um, this this article. So may I read mm-hmm. sure, um, sure, sure. like two short paragraphs yeah, from, sure, from sure, that? Sure. So, most notably, Laudato Si emphasizes the role of indigenous peoples in making a difference in how we manage our resources by instilling a greater sense of responsibility, a strong sense of community, a readiness to protect others, a spirit of creativity, and a deep love for the land. Laudato Si affirms that our relationship with the environment can never be isolated from our relationship with others and with God. So this resonates with how the Pulangin of Bukidnon views their environment as living relations rooted in their belief in Migtanghaga, the creator. Their respect for these relations is expressed in how the community shares and manages the land and water, as well as in its rituals and the arts. This tradition of engaging with the land and with others is what sustains our commitment to Kalendangan, the peace covenant that has always been the center of our cultural identity as people of peace. So, yeah, so that's why I read the two paragraphs because I also want to 
um, share what the community, the Polangyon themselves, um, reflected on. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the school setting, um, as early as grade three, mm-hmm. the the students already learned forest and water management. So they wow. have subjects for that. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to high school, they um, they learn organic farming and mm-hmm. bamboo uh, processing and production. Mm-hmm. So um, in these courses, we try to like we try to allow a dialogue between scientific mm-hmm. and technical knowledge mm-hmm. with traditional knowledge mm-hmm. so the students would realize that their culture can be a source of valuable knowledge mm-hmm. not only for the community but also for um for other people uh, outside the community mm-hmm. and um in their subjects like social studies and science uh, we use these classes to discuss environmental issues, mm-hmm. especially those that affect indigenous communities, mm-hmm. not just the Apulangian community, but also uh, other in indigenous groups. Mm-hmm. And um, we also like hold dialogues with different groups, you know, from the local to the regional. For example, um, just uh, last September, 19 and 20, um, the... Students of APC had a dialogue with other youth mm-hmm. in Upper Pulani, mm-hmm. in um, outside of Bendum, mm-hmm. uh, where they uh, where they share their experiences of the effects of climate change or the climate crisis, mm-hmm. and where, where they try to see what they can do mm-hmm. to to address the the challenges mm-hmm. of the climate crisis, mm-hmm. and um, during that activity. Um, the mayor mm-hmm. was also there, and then like representatives from DNR mm-hmm. and other concerned agencies. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, really moving to see students um, conversing or talking with the mayor and mm-hmm. leaders from the different agencies, mm-hmm. sharing what they know about the land, how they hope um, the government would uh, would help them, would assist them. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's uh, this kind of dialogue is important for the school because mm-hmm. um, APC believes that um, the key to a better community, uh, the key to a better future for the community is through service and leadership mm-hmm. um, yeah. by the youth. Yeah. So yeah, we, uh, we, we, we have this dialogues from time to time and also um, this month, um, students from the Ateneo Business School mm-hmm. also had a dialogue with some of the students, mm-hmm. no, and uh, with the with uh, also with the staff. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it, because it's also in the Pulangan culture that, um, or it's actually one of their values. Mm-hmm. Um, they call it abuntula daw sayuda, mm-hmm. or the sharing of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So uh, for them, um, peace comes with or through dialogue mm. and the sharing of uh, of knowledge. Yes. So, yeah, so it's um it's it's not actually easy. Mm. It's um um it there are challenges in doing these kinds of uh, these kinds of activities. Mm. Uh, um but uh we believe that the challenges are worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, indeed, those the, the challenges are, are are important um, are important. They're worthwhile, I think mm. so because uh uh for instance, most people would uh, outside and in the indigenous mm-hmm. community, they'd probably ha- have the sort of training that 
uh, tries to accomplish peace by the usual means, which mm. uh, which can be more military based or uh, which can be more about the political, purely political mm. solutions. But what I'm hearing from you is that, mm. and they're offering alternatives in a more social um, and dialogic mm. way of. Uh, pursuing peace, which mm -hmm. is pursuing peace on the ground, um, through 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 people who actually live in in in, in these places that mm -hmm. where peace ought to be uh, maintained or re mm -hmm. where peace ought to flourish once again, and it's also beautiful that um, um, though you go though you went there as someone to 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 help educate people to be an academic coordinator, you're also discovering that. Um, uh, n not only do visitors go there um, um, to, to impart something, but upon their visit and perhaps upon our visit when the show goes there one day, mm. we will also be able to take uh, something yeah. out and uh, bring something, uh, some things that we learn from the community that we visit. Um, so if there was one thing, there's just one thing, there, if there is one thing that mm. we should adapt from the habits and lifestyles of, of the Pulangyon, mm. what should it be? I think for me, based on my experience, mm -hmm. it would be the sense of community and um, collectivity, mm -hmm. that readiness to um, extend help to others, that mm -hmm. readiness to um, protect the environment. Oh, that's the, a dying thing um, yeah. in, in, in a city yeah. where um, maybe even neighbors don't know mm -hmm. each other anymore. Yeah, true. <laughs> there, there's this the kind of shared ownership mm -hmm of the land mm -hmm. so it's like um they know that um their decisions would affect the lives of their neighbors mm -hmm. so um the community is actually very cohesive mm -hmm. yeah and it's just amazing to like to experience such mm -hmm. um such um dynamic mm -hmm. uh which uh you said earlier is already dying, especially mm. in urban communities. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think um, with the challenges that we're facing today, uh, whether it's in the local, national, and global context, um, that sense of caring mm. is uh, very important. It's important to remind ourselves that we need to care more. Mm. We need to care more, not just, um, not just for ourselves, but for other people. Yeah, uh, yeah, and because self care is actually mm. actualized in caring for 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 yeah. for the other. So, um, well, uh, you've been working there for some time. Did you feel that the, your background in literature had adequately prepared you for for what mm. you're doing now? I mean, how has literature, um, having finished um, with a major in the graduate um, in the department of um, you did your MA there, yeah. right, at the USC mm -hmm. Department of Language and Literature. You came away with an MA in Literature. How, how has that helped you um, uh, for the kind of service that you're doing now? Yeah. No, um, for me, the work there is a work of accompaniment. Mm -hmm. It's walking with people. Mm -hmm. It's walking with the community. It's being with them. Mm -hmm. So... It's through literature, I, I think that I learned the art of listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, listening not just with ears, but listening with the heart. Mm -hmm. um, listening to uh, the spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I'm becoming philosophical, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um, literature has prepared me in a way that um, I I am more sensitive. Mm-hmm. You know, I have uh, I I am sensitive to um, to what others feel to what others are going through so it's this like empathy big sense of empathy that um literature um teaches us mm-hmm. i think um like through stories mm-hmm. yeah and um it um uh, literature also introduced me to like different voices mm-hmm. you know, whether it's novels um in poetry or in critical essays, different voices that would show you that there's um, not one reality in mm-hmm. this world. There are different uh, realities. And um, going to Bendum, um, it's a kind of reality that I thought I know mm-hmm. because I've been reading mm-hmm. on indigenous communities and um, there are even readings in a literature or literary theory that talk about like the experience of marginalization of mm-hmm. these communities. Mm-hmm. I thought that I'd be a, um, that the, 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 the community would somehow like affirm mm-hmm. uh, those uh, things. But interestingly, um, a lot of things that I already know, are um, are proven to be different mm-hmm. in the context of Bendum, in the context of the Polangian people. So, um, literature prepared me to unlearn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, to unlearn um, what I've learned and to be open to uh, to to be open to new experiences, to be open to new ways of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, um, somehow it's um, somehow it's um, I am hopeful that uh, I am hopeful that um, others, mm-hmm. you know, in um, not just in the field of literature, but also in across um, fields of of knowledge across disciplines, would also uh, have the chance to realize that mm-hmm. that um, we. We are, yes, we have specializations, but at the same time, we are interconnected in mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, what the community has taught me mm-hmm. so well, far. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, being in the uh, academe and being mm-hmm. in the city, uh, that's one chapter. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and literature tells us that a mm. book is many chapters. Mm. And so you went to Mindanao, you went to the Pulangyan community, and there you are in the midst of more new chapters. True, <laughs> true. Yeah. All right, so that's Hannah Maria Ranas for you, ladies and gentlemen. And this is Jason Bagia signing off on World Without, and we'll see you next week. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. To DYUP Subo. Kaubani.